Hello, 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 and welcome to the first episode of the Blue Oval Podcast. I am your host, Ben Weissel, and joining me is the Stride Report's benevolent ruler, Garrett Zatlin. How's it going, man? Dude, it's going well. I like benevolent ruler. I want more nicknames every time we start these episodes now. First it was friendly dictator, now benevolent ruler. I like this. This is a, this yeah, is a good, that- good ego boost. Yeah, I think this is going to be a bit that well, I'll just have to get on the thesaurus before every episode, <laughs> figure out something different for friendly and d- ruler or dictator. Right. Uh, we'll see how far we can stretch that. That might only last the first few episodes. We'll see. Since uh, this is the first episode, I think it would be a good idea to kind of rehash what we talked about in the trailer. If you, uh, you guys did not listen to that, that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, if you guys want to check that out. But uh, basically, just this is uh, the Stride Reports version of a podcast. And with that, we want it to be a podcast full of running analysis, not just interview based. Um, We hope to have a lot of great guests come and talk to us as the season rolls along. But we really want to give you guys kind of a podcast version of what you guys are used to on the site, some real serious analysis that gets to things that a lot of people don't talk about and kind of highlight a few runners and teams that uh, aren't really getting the attention they deserve. Um, So with that, I mean, we can kind of just jump right in. I mean, it was a super exciting week of action um, this last week. Garrett, I'm sure uh, we were texting about it earlier, talking about it uh, off the air a little bit, but we got to start off with the biggest story. We put Stanford at one in for the preseason. Might not have been the best decision. Oh, man. There was a lot of good reasons for what we did. And you and I, I think both can defend that, but it's NAU's world and we are all living in it. So first reaction on NAU Garrett. It is incredible, right? I mean, we knew Luis Gudrava was going to be good. Uh, we knew a few of these other guys, these veterans, were going to hold it back. We figured that Brody Hasty was going to be solid. We figured that Abdi Nur was going to be really good. We figured Theo Quacks could, could be contributors. But I don't think any of us expected them to finish fourth, fifth, and sixth right behind Kudrava. I mean, we just, we just didn't. We didn't expect them to put three redshirt freshmen you know, in front of Stanford's number two guy. I mean, that that was just so mind-blowing, right? I mean, the redshirt freshmen, you know, they can definitely contribute, but to the level that these guys contributed towards, it was, uh, I think, the one thing that I don't even know if NAU supporters were, were really aware of, you know, outside of the NAU team. I don't know. I think Matthew Baxter would probably say otherwise, but <laughs> not just Stanford's number two, but it was... Alex Osberg, who is a multi-time All-American. It's not like they were running like a reduced squad or anything. This guy came in the top 15 last year's at NCAAs. Is probably a very solid pick at being top 10. Obviously, I mean, he'll probably grow into the season a little bit better uh, than the redshirt freshman guys. But the fact that they took him down and many other, I mean, really, really good runners behind him. I mean, just on the Stanford team alone. But, I mean, what a start to your NCAA career. I mean, oh, yeah. I can't think of I can't think of any better start, honestly. And if you're an NAU supporter, like we said, you got to be riding that high. It was it was wildly 
wildly impressive. I mean, and, and not only that, but I think the underrated sleeper star in all of this has to be Ryan Raff. I mean, the guy was a really low-key, underrated, you know, uh, I say varsity runner for the Lumberjacks last year, and then he comes in, closes out the scoring, shuts it down at the 13th spot. Uh, because after that, Cade Burks, again, really solid run on his own right in 18th place. But really, Ryan Raff shut this down pretty quickly. And oh, by the way, they did this without Beamish and Pharaoh. And it is so mind-blowing that those guys weren't even in there. And then they just quietly dominated the second best team in the country. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And and so kind of as we go into this, let's let's jump right into kind of a around the country segment where we'll we'll look at kind of the biggest meets that uh went on this weekend that we might touch on some from the past weekend. But let's let's stay at the John McNichols uh invitational. So with the men, NAU obviously won, Stanford two, and then Iowa State three with Edwin Kurgot taking the win. Uh runner up was Thomas Ratcliffe, which great sign um i think if you've followed the sport uh the last few years you we've all kind of heard the whisperings of what kind of talent this kid has um we've seen glimpses of it whether it was a few years ago when he ran cross uh for the first time and ran really well and then last spring we kind of got to see it all unfold when he came in third place at ncaa's in the 5k and then now to start out the season in second place right behind Kurgat, I mean, this guy, I mean, if he's a top five, top 10 guy, I still can't believe that Stanford isn't one because, I mean, with him running the way he is, I mean, Stanford's going to be really, really good. And when we're talking about guys who could finally uh, break it, break the streak and win NCAAs as an American, I mean, he's got to be right up there. He has to be. I mean, I, I think we've seen his raw talent, his raw potential, but the biggest issue is can he stay healthy? And we've seen that maybe he can. Yeah, last spring, he got through last spring really well, running 13-32, finishing third at NCAAs, but that was really the only season we've seen him healthy, right? If he can get through this fall, if he can stay healthy, especially with now a coaching staff that's new and maybe is not as familiar with him and his training as Coach Miltenberg was, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. Can he stay healthy? If he is, and if he continues to maintain that, heck, a top 10 finish very, very easily in the books. And if he's able to challenge Kirk out like he did this past weekend, or at least make things interesting, you never know on the right day. Uh, this guy's got some wheels, and uh, I would not you know, not bet against him. Yeah, I mean... With with Kurgat, I think it was super impressive, obviously, for him to kind of uh, just assert his dominance right away, winning by five seconds. I mean, I I can't imagine a better start for him. Um, and looking at Iowa State as a team, I, I I wrote about it a little bit in our first thoughts, but I mean, I, a pretty good start for a team that was, I mean, not a like a huge disappointment last year, but it kind of left you wanting a little bit. And mm. this year, I mean, I think they're off to a good start. Obviously, losing Andrew Jordan hurt a lot. But, I mean, Addison DeHaven looks pretty good. Um, you had other guys coming in, like seven or like six guys in the top 21. I, I mean, a pretty pretty good uh, start for Iowa State. 
Yeah, it was a really nice start. And I've, I've really been a fan of what they've been able to do over the past two or three years. I mean, this is a team that was looking at facing, you know, a, a, an outside of a top seven finish this year after they lost Andrew Jordan. And all of a sudden they, they recoup and they re-add, you know, some firepower in there with Addison DeHaven, who finished 11th at the McNichols invite, which is probably the perfect finish where you could probably expect him to be at this point in time. But come NCAAs, the reason that DeHaven is there in the first place is for nationals, right? This team can get through the regular season, no problem. It's not really an issue. But when it comes down to it, when it comes down to getting on the podium and threatening the top teams, I mean, DeHaven's real value lies at nationals where he's been a two-time All-American around the 28th to 32nd position. I have to go back and double-check that. But um, but for the most part, the team held it together. They showed great depth. Uh, Mitchell Day at 15th was mm-hmm. the one guy that I don't think any of us were really talking about. Absolutely. And then he, put, he puts down a 15th place finish. And oh, by the way, they did this without David too and without Festus Legat. Yeah, and I, I was just about to mention Mitchell Day. Like I, I had never heard of him. Um, I nope. probably should have known who he was, but the fact that he's just another guy. Even even if he doesn't like run this well, obviously we're talking about Addison Zahaven is probably still going to be an All American by the season come uh, by the end of the season because that's just what he does. Um, so even if uh, Mitchell Day isn't right behind him, he gives Iowa State just another guy to throw in with that Chad Johnson, Th- Thomas Pollard, Milo Greeter pack, and then you throw in a, like probably the biggest X factor of them all in Lagat, and hopefully you can get three guys out of that mix to give you a pretty solid race coming around nationals. And when you already have two All Americans, your chances at a podium finish are looking pretty good. Yeah, and I got to agree. I mean, I think Iowa State is definitely in that podium conversation. I think they're podium favorites. Um, But the one team that I really want to talk about that is going to get lost in this entire fold is Purdue. Because Purdue ran a phenomenal, phenomenal race. They went 8-9-10 with a big three that I think everyone kind of thought that you know, maybe they could have, and then they backed it up, right? Jared Carpenter proved that he is a legitimate low stick. And then Brody Smith and Kirk Eichstein were phenomenal, finishing eighth and ninth, respectively. Um, this is what Purdue has been building up for over the past year or two. Um, this has been a really solid squad, at least last year until now. Um, and then, oh, by the way, Tyler Bowling, the sophomore, steps up big time with a 17th place finish of his own. The back end needs to come up a little bit, but I mean, really solid day for the Boilermakers. Yeah, I mean, I think the big surprise here is obviously Brody Smith and Kerr Eckstein. I, I mean, those guys, I, it's not a surprise to see Jarek Carpenter up there. I mean, he's a stud. But to see his two teammates right behind him packed up, I mean, when we get to bigger races, that's really where having a good big three is really, really going to help Purdue a lot. And, I mean if they can clean up that back end a little bit, I mean, we're looking at a top 10 team at, at minimum. Agreed. Yeah. That even just, if that fifth guy or, or someone, even just closes it a little bit, it really wasn't that bad. I think when we look back, I think it was that 26 was their number five man, uh, Billy McIntyre sophomore, who really is pretty solid. He showed some really solid promise last year. Uh, it's not at all a bad performance. I mean, it, it was overall pretty solid on the big stage and on the national stage. And it meets like these, 
that's going to have to come down a little bit. But um, overall, Boilermakers have a lot to be proud of. A long way to go. They still have to get through teams like Indiana, Michigan, and Wisconsin, the Big Ten championships, but uh, really solid performance for them. Yeah, absolutely. A great start. Um, now let's let's transition to the women's finishers. So in first was Arkansas, number two, Stanford, three, Washington. And then Taylor Werner took home the dub while Fiona O'Keefe was runner-up. Any uh, things stick out to you right away, Garrett? Man, I, I really liked individually seeing the freshmen here. Uh, Erica Vanderland taking fourth overall and then right behind her, Melanie Smart, for Washington taking fifth, uh, that was really impressive and a lot of fun to see. You know these young, you know these youngsters kind of coming up to the top and, and battling a little bit. Um, I love seeing breakout performances from Katie Izzo and Devin Clark, and you know a lot of these, you know a lot of these runners had some really great breakout days and, and helped establish you know their teams and their respective spots within the NCAA. Um, I, I just thought the women's side had a lot of fun things around it and a lot to talk about. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas looked pretty darn good uh, in the preseason. And then when you add these breakout performances from Katie Izzo, Devin Clark looks like she's regained some of her form from a few years ago. Uh, I mean, they didn't run um, Lauren Gregory. Um, I mean, they got a lot of uh, reinforcements, much like NAU. And to take down a Stanford team, which who I thought I thought ran pretty well. I mean, they were they were right behind, uh, only five points behind Arkansas. So, I, I mean, I think that's bodes well for Stanford. I think uh, also Washington's third place performance, only twelve points back and ahead of Michigan, is a good sign for them as well. Um, I, like I the, in. in differently than the men's race you had kind of four teams that were pretty darn close and i think that kind of speaks to what you're saying there's there's plenty of uh moving pieces in the women's race yeah and the one thing about washington is that 66 points but keep in mind they still have Haley herberg who has Mm -hmm. you know was in our preseason next top 50 at number 46 she transferred from oklahoma to washington so now if you add in melanie smart and lily burden and katie rainsberger and Haley Herberg, I mean, you've got four potential All-American candidates. That is a really scary good squad. Now, do I think that's going to be good enough to contend with Arkansas? Eh, maybe not quite, especially if they're at full strength. But um, I think the X factor here, if Marika Powell decides to run Herberger, uh, Herber- Herberger, I'm messing up all my names here, <laughs> Herberg, then this is, you know, this is a really strong squad that I think could easily get on the podium uh, if she runs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think this is a pretty wide open uh, national title race. I mean, like I said, Arkansas looks really good, but I mean, as you mentioned, Washington kind of has an extra bullet in their gun, and I think Colorado obviously is sitting there, kind of being like, "Don't forget about us," because with Coach uh, Wetmore, you really never know what they're going to do at the end of the season. Yeah, no, I mean it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see what Colorado does. You, you know, you're never really sure who they're gonna redshirt, especially with you know Emily Covert coming in as a freshman. Um, you know those transfers, so it, it's kind of an iffy spot there. I would be surprised if um, you know they didn't come in and, and make some kind of impact this season, right? I mean, you would think that this is an all-in year for them, but 
Um, yeah, I guess that's a topic for another day, but it is kind of interesting to see what Colorado does. And if they hold back anyone, then it'll be interesting to see what other teams can move in there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's move to uh, the other big meet of the weekend uh, battle, the Coast to Coast battle in Beantown. I mean, if we're talking about surprise uh, races, yep. mm-hmm. the Syracuse men winning and in number two. Army, number three, Stony Brook. And then we now have Washington men who were by far the clear favorites coming into this race. We had them ranked number three in the country coming in. Um, Individual winner was Kieran uh, Tuntavate with uh, Jake Brophy of Navy uh, finishing runner-up. I mean... What is you doing, Washington? Like, yeah. what's going on? Yeah, it, it was it was ugly to say the least. And and actually, you know, they were they were fifth overall. I mean, I oh yeah, I, don't I have misspoke. A, You're right. Right, they, they were fifth overall. I mean, it was not great, right? And I love the people who were saying, oh well, they were tempoing and they didn't have their full squad or or this and that. I'm like, stop. Let's look at the facts here. I mean, it, like I, I find it hard to believe that they were tempoing. And you look at their spread, uh, and you're going from third place to twelfth place to twenty sixth to forty ninth to, or I'm sorry, forty eighth, I think, uh, maybe. And then someone was back in the seventies. I'm still trying to pull up the results now, but I mean, that's not a tempo. That you know, when you're running third place and pushing that kind of pace, that is not a tempo pace. You know, Talon Hole had a great run of his own, um, but I find it hard to believe that Powell would take his group over from Seattle to Boston on the other side of the country just to run a workout, right? And what's yeah. even more interesting is that this this meet this year was not at all as competitive as it was last year. Mm, last no year miss. you had, yeah, you had the exact, you had uh, Virginia, you had, um, gosh, who else? Ole Miss, you had a stronger Syracuse team, the top two from Campbell, you know, a few other good, good programs in there. It's not like this year was that much better or anything. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, I so I did miss. Yeah, we had Harvard who was fourth, and I mean, when you're when you talk about oh they're tempoing and stuff, when teams tempo, you see them all finishing together, or at the very least, pretty close together. You don't you don't see a spread from twenty four twenty to twenty five thirty four, which was their one through five, and I mean, of course, we got to talk about they they do have uh Thibodeau Proctor coming in um and then they have obviously that really good freshman class um who can bring in some reinforcements but I mean this was a team we were talking about as I mean they're pretty close to a lock as a podium team going to be a team that's going to be pushing uh the top two probably not going to be able to get to their level but I mean probably going to be the ones that are the closest and for them to finish fifth in a meet even without a few guys i mean they shouldn't be finishing in fifth in a meet all year um and and while, while i am saying that i mean it is a tough blow for washington i mean we got to give credit to syracuse and i mean these other teams I, I mean syracuse ran a really good race with joe dragon i mean i i think we're seeing that he's taken a step up i mean he was good last year but to be running and beating teammate aiden tooker who i mean we have ranked pretty highly in our top 50 
I, I think that bodes really well for Syracuse if they can have those top two guys pretty far up. And then they got a lot of depth, I think, this year. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's been the big thing. I think we knew that their top three was pretty solid, but I think we, we kind of figured that Tooker was on this different tier. And, and even mm-hmm. if this is just from a confidence boost standpoint, knowing that Dragon can run with Tooker, I mean, it's a great step forward, right, for Syracuse. Um, Kevin James is a, is a very steady, consistent veteran at that middle lineup spot in the third position. And then you've got a slew of, of young talent making up that back end. And granted, there's going to be some inconsistencies, and it's not going to be perfect, but um, I think just from the way that their dynamic and their roster structure is set up, um, I, I think it's pretty solid. So if Dragon is actually going to be as good as maybe this race indicates, um, then there's a lot to like about Syracuse here. Yeah, absolutely. And then looking at the individual race, I mean, Garen Zutavate, I mean, what a race from him. I mean, beating uh, a, a pretty good uh, Jake Brophy, who, I mean, took it to uh, Taylor Hole, but he beat him by 13 seconds. I mean, that's that's a statement win coming right out of the gates, and I, he's going to be obviously one we're going to have to keep an eye on. Yeah, no, I, I'd have to agree on that one. I, I think it's it, it's going to be pretty strong when, when you know come nationals or the Ivy League championships in the postseason that we see these guys towing the line and they're going to have to go against a guy who's going to push the pace and really drag it out of you like Kieran Tudavate. Uh And Jake Brophy, shout out to him. He's been a really strong talent in the Patriot League for years, has kind of been on the cusp of, of making some noise. And this is really the first race that I've seen from him where he really stepped up and, and kind of put himself out there as, as a legitimate contender. Yeah, and as uh, as for uh, Army and Stony Brook, I mean these are these are in Harvard too. I mean these are big oppor- I mean a good good sign for things to come. I mean they're going to be in a dogfight to qualify for nationals. So, I mean to start out the season this well, really really good sign. Um, and as as for the women. I think uh, looking looking at this race again, pretty pretty interesting uh, for the Syracuse side. Wasn't sure what what to expect from them this year, but I mean Amanda Vestry stepped right into that number one role. Looked pretty good, leading uh, the Orange to the win. Yeah, and that was a team that was kind of on the cusp of maybe a ranking this year. We were kind of unsure, right? I mean, we knew that they had you know some really nice, strong, rising talents there. But last year was so underwhelming, just collectively. I mean, they had a nice race at ACC's last year, beating Florida State. But outside of that, they were really underwhelming. At Beantown, I think it was at Pre-Nats they went to, um, and then at the regional meet where I think they finished ninth or something along those lines. I mean, it wasn't pretty. And then for them to go off and lose the Malone sisters, who were two staple veterans of that program, you know, sure, you add in Amanda Vestry, who was, you know, I think many of us expected to be this this strong low stick. But, you know, at one point or another, I was thinking, man, is is Syracuse really going to be able to handle, you know, the competition that they face this year? And uh, I think we found the answer to that. It was a really resounding yes. Yeah, and I mean, I I think... You look at their one through five. I mean, they had a nice forty-three seconds, uh, forty-two second spread. I mean, it's a pretty tight group finishing two through fourteen. Uh, I do worry a little bit about the depth. Uh, it kind of drops off pretty uh, severely after six. But 
again, great start uh, for Syracuse on the men's and women's side at Beantown. Uh, a few teams that caught my eye on the, the women's side that were a little disappointing for me, Georgia Tech um, and Providence. Uh, Providence had Abby Wheeler take the individual win. Uh, Georgia Tech had uh, Nicole Paggins finish fifth, both really solid low sticks. But the rest of their respective squads just not – I mean, we, we weren't sure what to expect from uh, these squads that coming in this year. They might be pushing the national envelope. But, I mean, from this, looks like they're going to need to take a step up. Uh, agreed, yeah. And I think, you know, part of this is that, it, you know, Georgia Tech lost Mary Prouty, and we saw that when they lost her at the tail end of last year, they kind of dropped off a bit, still rallied enough to make nationals. But there were a few others. I think Amy, uh, Amy Ruiz you know, is no longer with the team anymore. So there was a lot of really key figures for the Georgia Tech squad where, I think a lot of us said, oh, well, they returned, you know, a good number of their of their women. And, you know, I think Nicole Figgins was exactly the kind of front runner that we thought she could be. Um, but there were just there was just a lot to, to really kind of bring in there. And it was going to be difficult. So um, at least in retrospect, but, um, you know, maybe I'm sure they can rebound. And I think after last year, this, this team's pretty experienced, but uh, it will be interesting to see, you know, how they do moving forward. Absolutely. Um and then let's let's talk about uh, the big one of the big races from two weeks ago, uh, Commodore Classic. I actually was racing in that with my Belmont teammates, and so I for, good uh, firsthand perspective. Um, <laughs> although I was a little bit behind the leaders to say the least. Um, and the men's side, it was MTSU taking uh, the win over IU, a big surprise victory. Keegan Shamati getting the individual win and leading the way for the Blue Raiders with Kyle Mao right behind him. I, I mean, if you're talking, if we're talking about biggest surprises from the first real big weekend, MTSU men have to be up there, right? Uh, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, we knew that they were going to be solid, right? We knew they were going to be a decent squad, but, I mean, I don't think we really knew after Chogi and Chamati what this team was going to have, right? I think Mosito was going to be solid, maybe pretty decent, but... Brian Rono, I, I mean, he, to me, didn't seem like it was going to be enough to shore up, you know, the back end. I don't think we knew that, uh, you know, their new, uh, you know, freshman that they just brought in. I'm sorry, yeah. another no Hil- freshman. Hillary Camayo. Yes, thank you, Hillary Camayo. Um, for him to step up and finish 12 in that race, I mean, this is still a relatively small meet, generally mm-hmm. speaking, at least compared to the national stage or national stage meets. But this is not a slouch of a meet either, right? This is this is a pretty solid you know, overall meet and for them to take, you know, one, three, nine, twelve, and I think thirty it was overall in the finishes. I mean, it was a pretty strong performance. Um, but not perfect, but but pretty strong. And I, I can say this, this is a very difficult course in the heat. Nashville is not a cool place uh in the <laughs> beginning of September. I mean, time isn't everything, but for Camayo to run 24-47, anything under 25 on that course and that heat is pretty, pretty good. And when you kind of fast forward that, I mean, when these guys race next, I mean, that they could be taking 45 seconds off their time pretty easily. And that puts them in a pretty good category. Talking about the, the team that they beat, though, Indiana, a little bit of a disappointing performance. Um, uh, their top two and Kyle Mao and Ben Veach ran 
really well. They were both in the top five, but a little bit of a lackluster effort. Uh, Dustin Horder a little bit further back uh, than we were expecting him to. Arjun Jaw ran a pretty solid race, but overall, IU had to be thinking that they were going to be winning this race. Yeah, no, I, and I agree. Um, yeah, I, I honestly, I take a look at some of these results and, and I say, well, I, I'm not really sure I, I'm too disappointed with Indiana on my, on my end. You know, I take mm-hmm. a look and I see Kyle Mao stepping up, getting a great second place finish. Ben Veach holding his own and doing what I think he should have with a fifth place finish in that kind of field. Um, Arjun Jaw in 13th. And I agree. I think Dustin Horder was that big X factor in this race. I mean, having him drop back to 35th place overall in a race where he should have been top 10. I mean, if he does that, then Indiana beats Middle Tennessee State. We don't have this upset scenario going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also think Middle Tennessee State's probably better than we expected them to be. But um, so I really think Dustin Horder's that X factor there. And I know we actually just saw him uh, go to the John McNichols invite where I think maybe the team was trying to rally back some confidence from him, and then he goes off and places 34th. Now, again, these aren't bad performances, but I think we thought that Dustin Horner could maybe be this guy who was going to be a, a solid, integral piece at that number three and number four position. Um, not sure how that's going to go moving forward, but I think he's really the X factor in all of this. Yeah, and I, I think that they'll be one to keep an eye on because, I mean, if they can get everybody running well, they're definitely a top 10 team. Uh, and MTSU, who knows? Maybe they are a lot better than we're than we're giving them credit for. But like you said, I no no reason to overreact too much to that uh, particular race. As for the women, we had Ole Miss one, Ohio State two, IU three. Uh, Bailey Hartenstein took the win, just edging out Jessica Drop in a pretty exciting finish. Um, Ole Miss women looked pretty solid. Uh, I'm a little worried about Georgia. Uh, they did sit out Samantha Drop and uh, Yanli Gomez, um, but there was still just a pretty big drop from Jessica Drop, no pun intended, um, to their number two Anna uh, Marion Block. I I mean the the South was looking pretty solid. We just talked about Georgia Tech looking a little shaky, uh, Georgia looking a little shaky. It, it, I'm I'm curious to see obviously the the favorites Ole Miss and Florida got to be feeling pretty good about their chances now. Yeah, no, I mean, Ole Miss made a big statement. They held out three of their top runners and just said, we're going to win with straight depth. And that's exactly what they did over, might I add, a very solid and underrated Ohio State squad, an Ohio State squad that may end up going to nationals if everything clicks their way perfectly. Um, And Indiana is historically a very strong squad, but Ole Miss basically said we're we're going to run a very you know handicapped kind of team here without you know our top three and we're still going to pull the way and win by what i think 16 points i mean it's it was a pretty big statement mm-hmm. win um and shows us what they really can do later on in this uh in the season yeah absolutely um yeah i i think that's i mean the the big te- big takeaways from the biggest meets so, Garrett, why don't we play a quick game of uh, overreaction or not? I'll give you uh, a prompt, and you can tell me or not if, hey, it's just early in the season. Chill out, Ben. Relax a little bit. <laughs> or you can say, all right, let's uh, start uh, the fire drills. Let's let's make sure that everybody's evacuated. Um, I'm all for it. Yeah, so let's go with the first one. NAU are going to win not four, not five, 
but maybe six straight titles. Man, it could happen. It could it could happen. <laughs> I mean, it's it's absolutely crazy to think about, right? I mean, they're they're gonna win this season probably, right? I mean, I, I don't see a scenario where they lose, especially when they add you know uh, Pharaoh and Beamish back in the lineup, and then all of a sudden you add in, you know. Drew Bosley and Caleb Easton and Corey Gorgas. And it's all of a sudden just this overwhelming firepower and depth. I don't see how a team is going to be able to, to beat them over the next three years. I mean, I, I just don't. I don't know if it's going to be possible. I mean, do you, do you see, do you see them, I, more importantly, winning six straight titles? I, I mean, running is such a volatile sport. I mean, injuries happen, right? I, transfers happen. But, I mean if there's been one consistent in my college career at Belmont, it's that NAU is going to win the national championship. And it's crazy that I've only, I've been in school. This will be my fifth year at Belmont. I have seen NAU win every year except once. And that, I mean, that's staggering. And I, I mean, there's going to be kids going to school that have never seen a national champion other than NAU. And I, I frankly, I, I, I got to agree with you. Even if, for whatever happened, their doomsday scenario happens for NAU, they just seem to have depth. They're going to keep bringing these elite recruiting classes. You already talked about the th- uh, three freshmen that they're bringing in, and they'll probably be able to integrate, if not this year, but probably the next two years. It's hard to imagine anybody else taking the – title belt from them yeah it's i mean i i think we were maybe doing some wishful thinking earlier this summer by maybe putting them at two <laughs> it was like oh we're gonna spice it up no it probably wasn't probably wasn't the right move but you know i i, I think when knowing what we know now right i don't think we really knew if you know how big of an impact the freshman we're gonna have or the redshirt freshman we're gonna have and now that we see that they're actually that good um it's it's a scary thing to think about uh, moving forward absolutely all right number two syracuse men and women will both finish in the top 15 at nationals this year you know this is going to be difficult right i think they are both right on that line right now given what we know um you know this man this is a really difficult one i'm gonna say no because i think they're both right on the line of that as it is um i, I think Syracuse, as strong as they were and as great a performance we just saw from them at Beantown on the women's side, um, I, I worry about some of their inexperience and maybe a little bit of the inconsistencies. They're still great. I think still very much think that they'll qualify. Um, but I just think both teams are a little bit too much on the edge as of right now um, to, to really say that they're going to be top 15. So I'll say that's an overreaction. Yeah, I... I... Might slightly disagree. I think Syracuse men have proven that they're they're going to be pretty solidly in that top fifteen. The women, I'm a little nervous about, but I think uh, kind of an underrated aspect is we're seeing uh, Coach Brian Bell in his second year in control of the program, and I think that's uh, having kind of the experience there. He just uh, hired a new assistant coach. I, I think I think that'll help push Syracuse um, men and women inside that top fifteen. All right, number three, Georgetown women will qualify for nationals. Um, I don't think this is an overreaction, um, saying that they will qualify. Now, will they? Uh, you know, it, whether you know us saying it or us deciding whether or not this is an overreaction <laughs> or not, 
that's one thing. Them actually doing it is another, but I don't think it's unrealistic at this point to suggest that they could. And I know it's one race in the season. I know it's early on. I'm the biggest one who preaches about not overreacting. But beating a Penn State squad with pretty much strictly depth, right? And I know Julia Padanin didn't run, but even if she had won, Georgetown is still pulling away for the win there. So if Penn State's as good as we think they are, and Georgetown's able to just simply dominate them with depth, then you know, I don't see a scenario or I don't see why Georgetown couldn't, right? And the only way I see that happening is if they get caught in some pretty tough cola scenario where you know they can't they can't get out of it because they're not pushed or, or whatever it is. So I guess on the flip side, and you kind of answered this, do we think the Penn State women will miss nationals? No, they're not going to miss nationals. I, I just there's just too much. There's just way too much there. I, I, I think that's that's an overreaction. Um, too much firepower. They finished first and third at their home meet without Julia Patternane. They're going to be fine. They're going to be totally fine. I still feel extremely confident in them. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think I think it's just a lesson of these are two good teams. One of them was going to have to lose, and we were just expecting a little bit more out of Penn State. Agreed. Um, even though I think Georgetown's proven to be more than their equal. All right, number four. Washington will Washington's men will not be a podium team this year. Ah, uh, yeah, like I, I, I'm gonna say for now, it's an overreaction, right? I think there's a good reason to be concerned. I think we should be cautious about the team moving forward. But they didn't run Tibbo Proctor. They didn't run their 843 steeplechaser Alex Lenning, and they didn't run any of their top tier recruits, right? If Andrew Jordan can be the top All American that we think he can be then this team's going to get on the podium, right? I mean, Jack Rowe held his own at the meet uh, at Beantown. Talon Hole uh, held his meet at, uh, yeah, held his own at Beantown, excuse me. Um, so there's a lot of moving pieces here, but I think it's an overreaction as of right now just to go off of a one beat and say, oh, wait, they're not going to be a podium team. I still have them on the podium for now. All right, well, I am going to sound the alarm bells because uh-huh. not necessarily because I think Washington aren't good enough but i think between nau stanford byu and after iowa state's performance i'm a, I'm a believer in iowa state um and i i think that this is going to be the year that they get back onto the podium and that's four spots so unfortunately i think washington might be the one stuck in the rain but mm-hmm. you never know next stanford not byu have the best combined men and women's programs in the country? Uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, I'm going to say no. I'm, uh, well, yeah, that's that's a tough one. I'm going to say no. I'm, I'm going to go with BYU, mainly because you know his, their historical depth is so much better, right? And we've seen what they've done on the track. And as good as Stanford is, you know, there was a year, I think, recently as far back as maybe 2017, um, when they didn't send anyone to nationals outside of Grant Fisher, at least not on the distance side. And I have to think back whether that was 2017 or 2016. But I mean, I, I think historically speaking, based on what we've known and, and what we currently have in front of us, I just like the overall depth of BYU better on both sides. And um, I, I think Stanford is kind of really packed uh, on the front end with their firepower, but I'll, I'll take BYU for now. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair 
even reaction there. I, I, I think Stanford's women did put in a good statement at John McNichols, um, and Stanford's men obviously a little disappointed to not take the win. But I, I think uh, the where it's going to come down to is the, the women's race, and I, I do trust uh, some of BYU's top talent just a, a little bit more than Stanford's women at this point. All right, next up, MTSU men are a lock to qualify for nationals. I think they have to be. I mean, I think after the performance that we saw with them beating uh, Indiana, I mean, that's a really solid Indiana team, even if they're not at their best. Um, so for Middle Tennessee State to to knock down that team, and then, oh, by the way, they really have to get through a region that is actually very underrated in terms of team depth there. But outside of Alabama, I don't really feel super confident in Florida State right now, which is actually they're much better than I think people give them credit for. Um, but there's a few other programs in there uh, that I think could, could be competitive. But when I look at the firepower that MTSU brings to the table, I, I find it hard to believe that, you know, Maybe, I guess, you know, Old Miss is going to be a contender as well. Um, but it's going to be difficult. I, I, I don't see a scenario where they don't qualify. All right. I am a Murfreesboro bred runner. I love Murfreesboro. <laughs> MTSU holds a dear place in my heart. With all of that said, I think that is a huge overreaction. Really? They have five runners, and if these those five runners all run really, really well, like they did, they are absolutely a lock. No question about it, but they have five runners. We just talked about how it is very possible in running for things to change very quickly. If any of those five guys, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't even have to be like a big injury. Let's say, I mean, they're out for a week or two or whatever. If they're not all at their at 100%, like you said, the South, I think, is becoming a pretty underrated region. There is a lot of a lot more depth in terms of the teams out there. And, it, I mean, they, they obviously have that formidable top two, Mosito, uh, the, their new freshman, Rono, all look pretty solid. But, I mean, let's say one of them has a bad day. They're... I think Florida State, Alabama, both are teams that are going to be cracking in there. And maybe maybe MTSU will make this argument defunct by racking up enough Colos points where even if they finish fourth or fifth or whatever, even on a bad day, they're still good to go. But I just, they make me very nervous by only really having five guys. Yeah. And to say that they're like, even after that performance, which was a stunning performance, I could not believe it. When I checked the results after running that race, I do not think they are a lock yet. Oh man, that's going to be an interesting one. Okay, well, I'll I'll let you go for now. I'll let you go on that one. But <laughs> yeah, hold man. me accountable to that one. Yeah, but. I'll let you know. We'll, we'll we'll tweet something out. We'll put it on the site. We'll make sure everyone knows who was wrong after that. Except <laughs> if I was wrong, then we're not doing it. So. <laughs> of course. All right. Uh, Indiana men are not a top ten team. That's an overreaction. Um, I think if Dustin Horder runs well, um, they are. Maybe on, on the verge there, but I think they are. If Dustin Horder runs well, they have a lot of really underrated depth. I really do think they are, and I'm going to continue to say it until I convince everyone else around me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Dustin Horder is kind of that X factor, right? 
Um, if he is shaky or if, you know, he runs well or, is, or if Arjun Ja is shaky, then they fall out. So right now we have them at 12. I, I, I think that if they all run well and they're all at their best, they're a top 10 team. Whether or not yeah. that actually happens at the national meet, we'll see. But that's kind of where I'm at right now. I agree. I, I don't think we need to spend much time on this. I think it would be an overreaction to say that they don't have the talent to do that. I, I think clearly they do. All right, let's go. Ole Miss women are the only top 25 team in the South region. What about the Florida women, right? That's, that's, that is the, the, the team that would uh, make this quite the overreaction. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can understand why maybe some people are a little iffy on Florida Right, I mean, because they have really limited depth, and it's you know there, there's only so many options on that back end. But I, I like Florida quite a bit, um, and, and I think they're going to be pretty solid. I've you know had conversations with people outside of TSR, and they've also said like, "Oh, Florida, really?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, they're, they're actually not that bad, and they're actually pretty solid." But um, I can understand why people are concerned about their depth, um, so it's understandable. Yeah, I mean, I was, I, I, I have been, and will continue to be very impressed by Jessica Pesco. I think she's uh, quite the low stick to have. I, I do, I am, like you said, a little nervous about that depth. And with Florida really being the only team that looks like their top twenty-five caliber, or even could have a chance, I don't know if this is an overreaction to say that the Ole Miss women are going to be by the time the season ends the only top twenty-five team in the South. It, it, it could happen. I think it's a realistic scenario. Um, now, it, it will be interesting to see what Florida does moving forward, but I, I, I do agree that that is a scenario that can unfold. All right, let's do two quick individual overreactions. Jessica Drop will have a hard time qualifying for nationals. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us are really big believers in Jessica Drop. Um, I, I, I'm really not going to overreact too much to that first race. Um, you know, I think Bailey Hardenstein just had a great, great race of her own, uh, took home the win, and, and really just barely edged out Jessica Drop. I think if Drop takes home the win, we maybe look at this a little differently. Um, so I, I'm not really going to overreact to that. Um, but if the team race does not go George's way, and right now it's not looking like it will, um, then yeah, it, it could get interesting, right? There's a couple sneaky good individuals in that South region um, that, that could make things interesting. And so um, I, I'm still pretty confident that Drop is one of those top tier runners uh, in the South region right now. Um, but I, I can understand why maybe people are a little iffy as to uh, you know who's going to step into those top individual qualifying spots. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think let's let's give it another few races, see where she's at. But yeah, I, I think losing to Hardenstein is is no no shame. Um, and it, like I said, it was a very very close finish. Drop had her uh, going going into the last hundred meters, and just she was the one being chased. And that's generally uh, it doesn't end well for those who uh, are in the crosshairs that last hundred meters. Yep. All right. Lastly, Ben Varghese will be an All-American. I don't think that's an overreaction at all. I could absolutely see that happening. He's finally got some experience under his belt. He's put together quietly some really solid performances. Um, you know, he's not a standout individual name, I think, that some people are used to seeing. But, um, no, I, I really like his talent. It wouldn't at all surprise me to for you know him to end up as an All-American. So uh, I'm not going with an overreaction. 
no absolutely i i i have a big fan of this guy uh fellow tennessean he's from etsu um i i really think that last year's experience um qualifying for nationals is really going to help him when it comes to this year i mean looking looking at the guys he took down at the virginia tech alumni uh invitational beating casey nevelbard peter sufer like these guys are pretty good guys and he didn't just beat them i mean he beat nevelbard by five seconds sufer by uh 19 i mean it's i i i think that bodes well um for Varghese uh, and he'll get a chance to race against some top competition in the Southern Conference uh, against Furman. I, I mean, this this is a guy who I think might just be coming into his own on a national stage, and we could be seeing the rise of a pretty big star. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, he's a solid, underrated talent. Um, I do kind of want to see how he does, you know, against the big time competition, but um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens when he gets there. All right, let's uh, wrap this up with a few mailbag questions. We uh, put out a few, uh, the uh, bat signal on Instagram (laughs) the other day, and uh, the uh, readers uh, responded pretty well. So the first one, I mean, I think we've gone over this pretty well. Is NAU unbeatable? Yeah, they're unbeatable. I mean, no one's touching them, right? If Stanford, you know, obviously I think Stanford can be better. Stanford will be better, um, but... No, no, I mean, if Stanford couldn't even beat NAU without two of their best guys, then no one is beating BYU. I mean, I think, or I'm sorry, not BYU, NAU, excuse me. Um, you know, I think BYU could actually end up uh, getting, you know, competitive and uh, really using their depth to their advantage if everything goes their way. But um, no, no one's beating NAU right now. Yeah, I uh, can't help but agree. It would be nice. Uh to change it up a little bit um and maybe have someone else take the crown but it does not look like this is going to be the year for that uh second question i think this was a good one how will beantown results affect ncaa qualification yeah i really like this question a lot i thought this was a really smart question um when you take a look at the teams ahead uh really all you know i think it was syracuse at one army at two uh, Stony Brook at three, and then it was Harvard at four, right? Let's assume that Washington gets into nationals, whether it be an automatic bid or whether they just qualify through Colos points, right? Let's assume that they do give a point out to these teams. I think for Syracuse, this is kind of a moot point. They don't really need it. They don't really need that extra point. Um, but for Army, this is a really, really clutch one point, right? I think that second spot in the Northeast region is going to be up for grabs between Army and and Iona, I think Iona has the edge now because their depth is maybe just a slightly bit better on that number five spot compared to Army. But whoever is going to be finishing that third spot is going to desperately need some Colos points. And for Army to snag that Colos point, um, it could be the difference maker, right? Last year, we saw how you know the very few select meets, that means a lot of teams were going all at one place at the same time. And that really created a consolidation of points uh, around the country. So it took five, six points to get out of, uh, of a region. This year, it's going to be much more spread out. You really need far fewer points, probably two or three in this scenario. So to have one point already um, and to be in a position to potentially qualify, a uh, big point for Army there, I think it's going to be pretty solid. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. It's like you said, with 
the Coloss points being so consolidated and the few big meets like pre-nationals or nutty comb to get a point at a place where a lot of people aren't getting points or at a time when a lot of people are people aren't getting points i think that's huge like i mean any any edge you can get when you're coming down to the wire is going to be massive um all right next up why on earth is patrick diva of tulsa not ranked i i like this question um <laughs> i think because because i, I we've, we we occasionally always get messages like i usually get a message like every week or so from a bunch of different people hey why isn't this team ranked hey why isn't this individual ranked i'm like i i, I can't rank everyone right we can't we can't um but Patrick Deaver is a good name to bring up, and I think it's a fair point. Um, the guy was uh, actually qualified for the World Cross Country Championships this past fall. I, I'm sorry, last no, past fall, past spring. Mm-hmm. When was it? I don't even know when it was. I can't, <laughs> can't even figure it out. But regardless, um, you know, qualified, and he placed 37th there, 37th of the World Championships, which is really impressive, right? But honestly, we, I, we don't really know what that race was like, right? I mean, we don't – there were so many – you know, like we know for a fact that the top Americans, you know, there were some that were in there, some that weren't. Um, we know that, a, you know, a few other top guys in that race just had some iffy days. Truthfully, I'm not going to act like I know a ton about what happened in that race. But, you know, when I take a look at the rest of his personal best, I see 1359, really, really solid mark. I see, I think, 2924 was another mark of his. Um, these are all solid marks, but they don't really stand out and pop, right? I mean, I could name a ton of guys who have gone under 14 minutes in the 5K, and you know ha- they're not really in the conversation right now for a top 50 spot. Um, I really just kind of want to see Deaver on the cross-country course first. He's probably going to get into the top 50 eventually, I'm sure, just if he runs well. But I just kind of want to see it happen in the NCAA. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, maybe it's an oversight, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's tough to rank uh, these British guys coming over in their first year. I will say this with British Cross and uh, especially that the Denmark course that they ran on uh, for Worlds, these are cross-country courses that are a lot tougher than what they're going to be seeing in America. I have uh, multiple British teammates and i mean the the their biggest uh surprise when they came over here wasn't how much we eat or how cheap a big mac is or whatever but uh how flat and easy a lot of the cross-country courses are um and and just how good the footing is you're not running through a bunch of mud it's not raining 24 hours a day um i and i think that lends itself to guys who have really good track times. And like you said, uh, Patty Deaver, really good track times, but those aren't, those times aren't so good that they guarantee you a spot in the all American, uh, race. So I, I like, like you said, he probably will be making a appearance in the top 50 eventually, but I, I mean, it'll just be interesting to see how he adjusts. And I mean, as I'm saying that it is Terre Haute, um, this year for nationals yeah, which is true. a pretty tough course so that might uh bode well for him but we'll, we will see yeah yeah no he's, he's a strong talent um yeah I, I can't wait for him to prove me wrong so we'll see what happens all right um well i think that has been a good showing for our first episode not bad um 
thank you guys for listening. Uh, make sure you guys go on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, give us a rate and review. Make sure you spread the word. Hit us up with any questions on Instagram, Twitter, at The Stride Report. Make sure you guys are visiting the site. We got uh, lots of stuff going up. We just posted our new updated top 25 teams and top 50 individuals for the men and women. Keep an eye out for all our D2 and D3 content. I know we'll have plenty of uh, stuff to talk about probably with our specialists in the next couple of weeks. So keep an eye out for that. Um, But yeah, anything you'd like to sign off with there, Garrett? No, uh, not too much other than just want to say thank you all for the support. Uh, We've been growing so incredibly rapidly. Um, You know, hey, if if you have a friend, just say, hey, you you heard about the Stride Report? Have you heard about the stuff they're doing? I'm I'm sure they'd appreciate some some of the extra content. But, uh, you know, the more we grow, uh, the more content we can give you guys. And um, I'm I'm excited to to keep this thing growing. So many thanks. Uh, Spread the word. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Thanks, Garrett. See you soon.